Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Hey, turn your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we are in our series, Citizens of the Kingdom. Uh, we are looking at one verse this morning, verse 12. It has often been referred to as the golden rule. And, uh, but we're going to read the first uh, 11 verses behind it to give it a little context this morning. And, uh, and then we will get after it this morning. Matthew 7, uh, beginning in verse 1. Jesus said, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is there in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye where, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And we'll stop there for this morning and really just unpack verse 12 to today. Last, the last couple of weeks, we talked about judging others, and uh, Jesus gave us clear reasons why we shouldn't judge others or make a, a pronouncement of judgment so that we ourselves are not judged in that same way with that same measure. Last week, we talked about how do we connect our lives to God's re uh, resources, the things that he wants to do in our lives through answer to prayer. And then there's this verse, and it, it almost seems like that they're almost kind of random statements, and yet this was one sermon that Jesus gave. He went up on a hillside, he gathered gathered his disciples. Of course, there were crowds of people that weren't followers yet, but they were listening in on this sermon that Jesus gave. And essentially, the Sermon on the Mount is this concept of what it means to be a citizen of God's kingdom. Uh, what does it mean if, if we, we would say it like this? If I would regard Jesus as my king, this is how I'm going to live my life. And we see that these are some very challenging things that you and I are called to add into our lives. To not judge, to have discernment, to pray, to trust in God. And now this golden rule, if you would. Uh, it, it's, it's basically regarding our relationship to other people. This is what should rule when we think about our relationship with other people. Take a minute, uh, for uh, just for a moment. Take a minute and just think for yourself. What would your life be like? What would your relationship with your spouse be like? What would your coworker relationship, uh, your community, your church, your small group, what would it look like if just you decided that you were going to live by this rule of life? What somebody else you want them to do for you, 
you're actually going to go and do it for another person. Think about how that would transform our households. You think about all the, the little bickering that happens between husbands and wives, right? Uh, it's, it's usually my fault in our household, but you think about it, it's usually just selfishness. And it's usually, I want you to do something for me. And what Jesus is saying, I want to transform how you think in life. It's not easy. It's easy to see, but it's not easy to do. I want to transform how you think about other people. And what you want someone else to do for you, you go and you do that for that person. Imagine if that were the way we treated others all the time. What our house would look like, your marriage, your church, your community. And why isn't it like this? Well, because we're sinners. And we're selfish people. You think about all the fights that you have with people and all the drama that takes place between relationships. It's usually because we just have very selfish hearts. Now, this isn't a command for everyone uh, to follow, but only for those who are followers of Jesus. Like all the commands we find in Scripture, we're not saved by keeping them. None of us can ever be saved by trying to keep this rule. A lot of people say, well, I try to live by the golden rule. Well, how are you doing with that one? Right? And you just go, like, let me just ask your kids, hey, does your dad live by the golden rule? Like, he puts your needs before his own? Uh, no. We're selfish. The, the Sermon on the Mount, like the other commands, it really kind of drives us to Jesus. You read about forgiving others. Forgive us our sins as we forgive our debtors, right? You think about the things that God asks you and I to do. We've all fallen short. There's not one of us that could keep this perfectly. That's why we need a Savior. And the Sermon on the Mount and, the God, and God's commands, it really drives us to see our need for Jesus. But then after we are saved, men and women, the Sermon on the Mount really kind of guides us through life. It directs us how your life is supposed to go as a follower of Jesus Christ. His life flowing through me, flowing through your life, changing you at the heart level, changing me at the heart level. And that's what happens when we surrender to him. And verse 12 really is a summary of the subject of verse 1 through 6, judgment sandwiched in between this idea of prayer. God, how do I change my life? Well, I need to ask. I need to seek. I need to knock. And, and, and we also get a reminder uh, of how good God is to you and I, though you and I don't deserve it. It kind of sets us up for now trying to put another's needs, what we actually would want, and actually going and doing it for them. It sums up all the other statements, by the way, about our relationship to others. There was a man that came to Jesus and said to him, what is the greatest command, right? Let's just get to the top one. And Jesus said this. He said, the greatest command is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and all your strength. And then Jesus added, and he says, this is the first and greatest commandment, and a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all its demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Loving our neighbor as ourself is seeking really to do good to them, the good that we'd actually want somebody else to do for us. Now, many would say, as you read through commentaries or just, you know, you read about this statement, the golden rule, they'll say that, that this has been a statement that was said for years and centuries before. And it's true. There were similar statements that were given. Uh, there was a Jewish teacher by the last, uh, his name was Hillel, and he actually said this, do not do to your neighbor what is hateful to yourself. Or do not do to your neighbor what is, yes, hateful to yourself. Uh, Confucius, Confucius had some statements that were similar. Uh, man who sit on tack, get point. Sorry, that wasn't it. He did actually, you're going to get that at some point today. 
Or you're just going to go, it was dumb then and it was dumb now at 2 p.m. He did say this, though. What you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. Now, that's a great rule for your household, right? Hey, if you don't want your brother to punch you, you don't punch your brother. If you don't want him to steal your stuff, you don't steal his stuff. Now, that is a great way to live our lives. But Jesus flips it over. And he actually makes it into a positive command and an active command. Uh, Not that we would choose not to judge one another or do harm to them, but we would actually choose to do things that would benefit another. If we would follow Confucius, I would not hate you. But if I follow Jesus, my command is to love you, right? If I follow Confucius, I won't steal from you. But if I follow Jesus, I would give to you. And that's the difference. And I think we could see that Jesus is trying to broaden this understanding of you and I leaving our selfish ways, leaving the kinds of things that, you know, we're, we're, oh, I just want this done to me. And how come they don't pray for me? And how come they don't ask how I'm doing? And saying, why don't you go and do those very things that you wish that other people would do for you? Again, it would revolutionize just your household if you and I sought to try to put this into practice. Being a follower of Jesus isn't just about avoiding things that he asks us to avoid, but what we're supposed to go out and do, right? We're supposed to, God calls us to give. God calls us to serve. God calls us to love people. And people, according to Jesus, in the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, they will see your good deeds. They will watch your life and observe how you go and do for others what you would want done for yourself And they would glorify your Father in heaven. It's more demanding, it's broader, and there's no limit to what a citizen of the kingdom can do and make a difference in somebody else's life. Again, it's not just avoiding harming people, but it's doing intentional good things for them. And Jesus said it sums up all that is taught in the law and the prophets about how you and I are to treat people. Now, the law in their day, it was totally misunderstood. That's why Jesus gives six examples of how the Pharisees and the scribes taught certain aspects of the law. Certainly mis, uh, misunderstood even in our day. Uh, God's word tells us that the law was given so that it might reveal our sin. So they would say things like, and Jesus actually said, you have heard it said You shall not commit adultery. Now that is one of the top 10 commands, right? But the way they taught it was, Jesus said, you've heard it said you should not commit adultery, but I say to you, if you have lust, full intent in your heart, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And then he went on to murder. You have heard it said, you shall not murder. This external observation of the law. By the way, we would agree, right? Not cheating on your spouse and not murdering people are probably two good things to put into place in your life, right? If it's not there yet, start. Those are two commands you should obey. But there's an internal part of it. The spirit of the law, if you would, was that you are not to have anger in your heart. So it's not that you and I just don't take an axe and go and, you know, hit our neighbor on the head with it. It's that we don't allow bitterness and anger to reside in our heart because we're citizens of the kingdom. God is wanting to eradicate those parts of our life that weigh us down and, and, uh, and really take us away from fully embracing and living out the life that God has called us to. And so he gave six different, you know, illustrations there in Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. They misunderstood it. They, took, they only saw it as something you could observe ex- externally, 
and, and only really the negatives. But there were so many positive aspects of the law, not just what to avoid, but also what you and I are supposed to do. And the law has to do with our relationship with God and other people. And love, Jesus said, is the greatest command, that we're to love him and we're to love our neighbor. That's why doing unto others, it sums up, Jesus said, the whole law and all the prophets. You think about that. The Bible tells us in Romans 13, verse 8, Paul says this, Owe nothing to anyone. That means don't be indebted to anybody. Except for your obligation to love one another. For if you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. You and I are not to, you know, owe, you know, like, oh, I'll pay you back, you know, uh, what's that guy? I'll pay you back Tuesday for a hamburger today. Uh, we're not to owe anybody anything. Did anybody remember that cartoon? Was that like Popeye or something like that? You get, okay, there we go. I'm going to be 48 this week, and like all these like really bad things are happening in my mind right now, so you could be praying for me. Like going, oh yeah, and then I start thinking about all the other cartoons I used to watch, Little Rascals. That was a great one, right? Black and white. So don't owe anybody anything. Let me just round back, which I was nowhere any close to that verse I just read. Go back. You're not to owe anybody anything, but you are to... Feel like you're an indebted person to other people, everybody, enemies included, to love them. Well, how do I love them? Somebody went and asked Jesus that. You're to love your neighbors yourself. Well, who's my neighbor? Is it my friend who I do fantasy football with? Oh, God, I just want to obey you. I just want to love my brother and cook some ribs for him today and hang out and watch football. Like, oh, we're just loving one another. No. Jesus goes and gets the 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 farthest scenario that you and I would want, and he built an entire message around loving your neighbors yourself, and it's the story of the Good Samaritan. It's Paul is saying, you and I are to owe love to one another and to people, and we fulfill the requirements of God's law. Paul also said in Galatians 5, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Whatever you wish others would do for you, do also to them. It's the law and the prophets. We value our fellow humans. We're interested in their well-being, just like we would want another person to be interested in ours. I've had an interesting quote. Uh, C.H. Spurgeon said this about this particular verse, verse 12. He said, Oh, that all men acted on it, and there would be no slavery, no war, no swearing, no striking, no lying, no robbing, but all would be justice and love. What a kingdom is this which has such a law. Think about that. Just start your household. How could it rearrange how things go in your house? I'm going to do for my spouse what I wish they would do for me. I'm going to serve my family in the way that I wish and would want my life to be served. I'm going to serve my employer in the very same way, this is a great one, by the way, to tell your kids. My youngest just moved to San Diego to take a job. And I said, your number one job is to make that guy money and happy. Right? To, to all the bosses, can you get an amen? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. That's pretty much all we want our employees to do. Don't lose money, right? And do what I need you to get done. And you will be a very blessed and rewarded employee when you have that kind of attitude. I tell them, hey, one day you might own your own company. How do you want 
the 18-year-old working for you to treat your stuff, your business, your future, your money. You think about that. You just do unto others what you want other people to do for you. If you ever wonder what to do in a situation, how to respond, how to act, how to think about another person or talk about another person, in a sense, Jesus says, don't start with another person. Start with your favorite person, you, right? I mean, we are our favorite. If I take a picture right now from the stage and post it on RVC uh, Fresno's you know, Instagram, the first person you're going to look for is who? You. Like, oh, man, why did I wear that shirt? Why didn't I iron that shirt better? Why didn't I do this? I mean, it's what we do. You look at a picture, like, no, you can't post that. Do you have a friend like that? Do you take a picture out, and they're just like, let me see it. Delete, delete, delete. You're like, dude, that's my phone. Give me my phone back. <laughs> I don't like that angle. Whatever. Grow up. It's easy to say, I wish more people would ask me how I'm doing. I wish other people would come up and say, how can I pray for you? What Jesus says is you go and do that. You go and ask somebody how you can pray for them. You go and find out how their week is going, their day is going. It will revolutionize the relationships that you have around your life, but it'll also change you. It'll change me because we become less self-focused and less self-centered, and we become these loving people that God is using to change lives. When you, when you make that list, oh, I wish people did this for me, I wish people did that for me, write it down, and then go do it for somebody else. You strike first. I don't know if you guys uh, know uh, Chuck and Nancy Missler. They're both since passed away over the last couple years. Uh, Chuck most recently, a couple months back, but he's a Bible teacher and kind of uh, just, you know, sort of a prophecy guru. And uh, he actually came to speak at RVC when we first began, when we were in the movie theaters. And uh, Chuck's wife wrote this book 20 years into their marriage. You, on the outside, Bible teachers have a big ministry. Everybody looked at them on the outside and said, man, what an incredible marriage. Gee, I wish my marriage would be like that. But internally, it was just kind of empty and sort of lifeless. And it created bitterness between them as husbands and wives. And, uh, and so one day, God spoke to Nancy's heart, and, and she actually began to create change in their marriage. In fact, she wrote a book, and it's called, Why Should I Be the First to Change? That's a great book for you and I to, well, I'm not going to read it, but you should go read it. Uh, not, I, I guess I could read it. I was going to say, it's like a girl's book, I guess, but uh, you know what? I'll be fine. I'll read it. The gist of it is, I want him to change. I want my wife to change. I want my husband to change. I want my boss to change. I want my kids to change. And Jesus says, take verse 12 and flesh it out in your life and say, I want my spouse to think these thoughts about me. I want my spouse to do these kinds of things for me. I want my friends to be this way for me. I want my church community to be this way in my life. And Jesus says, now go and do that for other people. Why should you be the first to change? Because you and I obeying God in his word will create blessings in our life. God will reward us. So we ask questions. Well, what pleases me? What encourages me? What discourages you? What brings the worst out in you? Think about that. What brings uh, joy to you? What upsets you? What upsets me? In the law, we find this scenario 
a positive action that you're supposed to take. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, we read about it, where God gives a command. If you see your neighbor's ox or you see his lamb wandering off, uh, you know, what, it, and it's not just those animals. If you see his donkey, go and get his donkey too, right? It says you're to go and find it and take it back to your brother, right? You go, I could do that for my friends, well, in Exodus chapter 23, he said, oh, by the way, if your enemy's ox is collapsed under a heavy load, go and help that ox up and take it back to that enemy of yours because that's how you're supposed to live your life. And it's, this, it's not, well, if I ever see my neighbor's ox or donkey wandering off, well, then I'll take his donkey back to his house, Right? He's given an example. This isn't just about oxes and donkeys. And that's why Jesus says, whatever you wish that others would do for you, go and do it for the other person. You and I have an obligation to go and do what we would want done. The spirit behind it is that you and I would love our neighbor as ourselves. That's why that story that Jesus attached to the question, who's my neighbor, was so radical. My neighbor is my friend. My neighbor is a person that I like. My neighbor is a person that I get along with and we have a good time together. No, Jesus says your neighbor is a human that you actually might not like. When he said, this is who your neighbor is. There was a man who got beat up and left half naked and left for dead. And a priest walked by on the other side. And then another man, a Levite, walked by. Two guys that Jesus basically kind of like gave them a little goad. You know what I mean? Like someone that should have done something, but they didn't. They had like a moral and spiritual obligation to do something. They should have felt a tug on their heart, but these two men walked by. But then he says, but then a Samaritan came by. And you need to understand, like Samaritans, like Jews and Samaritans, they did not like each other. The Samaritan was, uh, was, was like this dog in a Jew's mind at that time. And they just avoided them at all costs. That's why when Jesus goes to meet the woman at the well in Samaria, it was mind-blowing to the disciples. So you think about if we were to travel from here to Los Angeles, I've used this story in the past, but let's say we all hate Bakersfield. There's lots of good reasons too. And you go, I'm going to LA. And like, oh, we got to go through Bakersfield. So we go, no, let's go on the coast, right? And then we're going to drive an extra three hours. That's how they, that's how they got around from the northern and, and southern kingdom of Israel. They, but Samaria, Samaria was right in the middle. I can't go through there. And so Jesus picks a guy from Samaria, somebody that you would be like, gross. I don't want him to touch me. And that's the guy that actually shows the kind of love that Jesus calls you and I to have. Your enemy, your friend, your small group partners, Every person in your life, we're supposed to do this. And Jesus sums up, says this is all the law and the prophets about how you're supposed to treat other people. It challenges that self-focused, self-centered part of our lives and, and, and where, we, where we learn from Jesus, his kind of way of living. It says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 5, Paul says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Paul's not saying hate yourself. The truth is that you and I love ourselves so much. That's why we always look out for our own interests. He's saying now, stop being so self-focused and start thinking about another person. And whatever you would want done for you, go and do for them. It's easy to say yes 
and amen and wow, what a powerful teaching, Jesus, and get that printed on our wall somewhere, make our kids uh, memorize it, right? But the Sermon on the Mount is to be lived out. It's not to be praised, but to be practiced, to live like Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. He never once said, admire me. He says, follow me. Go and do what I want you to do and what I do. As a disciple, you have to think of your life as almost just like you're an apprentice of Jesus. That's why we, we use language around here, knowing Jesus and making him known. Because it's not about a bunch of different rules that you and I would put together and look in his word and go, okay, obey all these things, guys, you'll be a good Christian. The essence of Christianity is to know God in an intimate and personal way. And when you attach your life to him as savior, as friend, as Lord, your life begins to shift and change. That's why we encourage you to have quiet time on a daily basis. If you don't have a Bible, we've got a ton of Bibles. I know it's shocking the church has Bibles, but we have a lot of Bibles. We'd like to give them to you because you need a personal copy of God's word. Your phone is only half credit, by the way. We want you to have a real Bible in your hand. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I just get distracted. I'm like, oh, here's a verse. Oh, there's Instagram. And you begin to walk with God. You begin to seek him. And what happens, you're almost like an apprentice. And you begin to start to change. And that's what happened in Nancy Missler's life. These people were Christians for decades already. But that's what happens to us. You now attach our lives to him, and we become like an apprentice of his. And he shows us how to live now. So how do we implement this kind of stuff in our lives? How do we live by the golden rule? Here's a couple thoughts that I had about it. When Jesus said that you and I are to think about another person or whatever we wish that others would do for us, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Here's one way. Number one is this. Put yourself in another person's shoes. Like put yourself in somebody else's shoes. You think about your life right now. You think about other people in your life, people that have needs around you. It's so easy just to blow past people, isn't it? We have very busy lives. There's people at your work that have a lot of drama going on. There's people just within our own households. We all carry different burdens around, right, that just sort of like get attached to us throughout life. And you say, I want to put myself in their shoes. And I'm going to ask the question, if I was in their scenario, what would I want done for me? If, if your child was sick and had to go to the hospital because of this incredible air that we breathe here in the valley, Right? The hospital is filled up every, every single year. You have neighbors' kids who go to the hospital for treatment, breathing treatments for weeks on end. If it was your kid, how would you want another person to treat you? If your, if, if your marriage was going through a hard time, how would you want another person to come alongside you? If you're a single parent, like a lot of us, we don't, we, we don't have that in our lives. We, you know, you're married, you've got that spouse support and that help. Or supposed to. Um, but you think about that. Go, man, if I was a single mom, what would I want? A 10-week vacation? <laughs> okay, that's not going to happen. I don't know that that's what Jesus was saying. But maybe a little extra help with kids. Maybe a little extra help with a yard. I, I mean, these are just like the sky's the limit. You don't have to think about everything this week, but you can think about one thing this week. So put yourself in another person's shoes and ask them, what would I want if this were me? How would that would change the dynamics of the first circle of contact that you and I have that Jesus often calls us to focus on first? Our households, our friends, our community. How do you want to be treated? How would you want to be handled? How would you want to be spoken about? 
It's not just about like, you know, what you and I do for each other. What you think about other people. Do you find yourself, this is why it's attached to judgment. Do you find yourself like kind of clapping that you didn't say it out loud, but you're thinking thoughts? You're just going, you're so jacked up, Gordon. I can't believe you would think this about that person. Is it just you that has a jacked up pastor or do you think thoughts like that too? How about when no, someone's not around and you hear about so-and-so and you, what's going on in their life and you just start talking critical judging words out of your mouth instead of going, man, if I was in that scenario, if I screwed up that bad, how would I want to be treated and handled? I don't know about you, but I like a lot of grace with a side of grace. You know what I mean? Like I need a lot of grace. It's essentially what Jesus is saying. You think about that. How do you want to be thought of, treated, spoken about when you made a mistake in your life? How about when you're discouraged or when you have a need or when you're caught up in some sin? We are so great, by the way, as church, churches in our community of, uh, hey, man, just come just as you are, right? Come with your brokenness. You know, come all beat up like we are in life and find Jesus and he will give you rest and peace. And then when a brother or sister struggles and stumbles and does the unthinkable, what is that? Sin, because they're what? A sinner, right? We're just like, oh my gosh, shun, remove, can't talk to you, don't want to be around you. It happens all the time. And it might not be something where you have a sign outside like, hey, if you did this or that last night or you're a little hungover today, just go back home. Like, we might not have signs like that. And I'm not going to actually say RVC. I'm just going to say that kind of Christians in general, like how many friends do you have that won't go to church right now because they say, you know what? I shared this and all of a sudden I was shunned. If you and I cannot share the crap about what really goes on in our life, in the place that's supposed to have the most amount of grace and most amount of acceptance and the most amount of love, we are all jacked up. And we should like shut down and go golfing on Sundays. I hate golf, so I'll do something else. <laughs> and it's only because I'm horrible at it. So now you know that about me. What kinds of things do you want people to say about you? There's a thousand scenarios I think Jesus is saying, gain an empathetic heart for what people really go through in life. And think about what you would want. Again, put yourself in another's shoes. And the second thing that I think you and I would gain from this passage is to act on what you discover. Oh, this is what I would want. Oh, then go and do that very thing. What if that became sort of like the, the rule of life for us? It's not every day. It's not every single scenario. That would be a full-time job. But there's one thing that you can do this week. There's one burden that you could lift off of another person's back. There's something that you could do that you wish other people would do for you. Jesus says, act on what you discovered. Lord, how would I want someone to treat me if I had fallen into this mess? How would I want someone to help me if I was in that same predicament or situation? How would I want someone to treat me if I lost my job and I was out of work for a couple months? I think you and I can think of exactly what it is that we would want. And so Jesus says, so quit 
fiddling your thumbs and go and do what you discovered. I would want someone to do this. So Jesus says, great, so go and do that. That's the whole point of the Good Samaritan story. The Samaritan put himself in that man's shoes and then he acted on it. What if that was the case? Man, it would revolutionize an entire world. And by the way, this is exactly what happened in the early days of the church. They saw a person in need, and they're like, what would I want done? Well, I would want someone to help me financially. And so they were like, you know what? I don't need that extra piece of land. I'm going to go sell that land so I can bless that family that lost all their income because now they're followers of Jesus Christ. You go and you act on what you and I discover. There is no limits. By the way, this is how God uses his church to change lives, to restore lives, to repair relationships. What we think about other people, what people see us do for one another and other people, and what we say about people. This is an everyday kind of challenge. It's an everyday kind of opportunity. And, and, and sandwiched in between don't judge and do to others what you would want done to yourself is that beautiful passage about prayer. This is really kind of the third. How do, we, how do we implement the golden rule in our life? By relying on the power of God to live it out. That's why it says so in verse 12. Your version of the Bible might say therefore. Whenever you see that word therefore in the Bible, you're supposed to look what came behind it because it's attaching some relationship to it. He's saying that the reason why I'm saying this statement is because of what I had already just said. Therefore, whatever you want other people to do for you, that's difficult. You know, there's so much in the Bible that is really difficult to obey. Have you found that to be true? We're just like, man, that's a lot. Like, I don't know how to change. Like, you have good intentions. Today I'm going to go to work. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be whistling zippity-doo-dah. I'm going to have the best attitude. I'm going to be the best employee. And then your boss, you know, is like a little cross that day and whatever bosses get. And, uh, and maybe other employees are kind of cranky, and maybe you're a little cranky too. And you're like, you know what, Lord? Tomorrow. Tomorrow we're going to change. It's like hard. Forgiving other people. That's a, a great go-to one. You go like, oh, Christian life's easy. How about forgiving people for the wrongs that they've done to us? I don't mean they didn't invite you to go out to eat dinner with them, and you saw them all on Instagram. You're like, oh, you guys aren't my friends. Like, ho hopefully we can all grow up, right? Although you should invite us. Come on. But when people wound you or wound those you love, so that's the stuff you're just going, how do you forgive someone for walking out? Those of you have had to do that. How do you forgive a parent that abandoned their role as your dad or your, or your mom and they just left you? That's like, dude, how do you do that kind of stuff? You know how you do it? By saying, God, I can't do it. I can't live out this golden rule. I'm selfish. All these things I'm saying right now, my wife's probably writing it all down. And we're going to have another Bible study tonight. Say, remember what the pastor said today? Oh, let's reiterate that one. Let's think about what he just said. Here's the reality. I'm selfish. I can think about what I want other people to do for me, and then I pray and ask God to make them do it, right? <laughs> says, no, you go and do that thing. How do I do that, God? Surrender. This is like a daily thing, man. You say, God, I don't have the ability in and of myself to put another person before my own needs. I don't mean we all have that within us. You, you parents of young ones, man, uh, it's like I remember those were days were exhausting, right? 2 a.m., 
you kind of just like hoping your spouse heard the baby cry for 30 minutes already. And it's like, and then as soon as they get up, you're kind of like, oh, no, no, I was going to do it. Oh, okay, I got you. I got you tomorrow. Right? It's been a whole like their toddler years doing that. Uh, I a book I should write about how to be a selfish parent. God, I don't know how to be that. I don't know how to forgive. I don't know how to put my spouse's needs before my own. I don't know how to treat my coworkers this way when they irritate me. I don't know how to, to find more time in my life to go and meet somebody else's needs. I, I can feel like I barely can handle my own life, right? But then you say, God, I'm going to rely on your power. And that's, what ha- that's when that change happens. God, I lay my life down. God, I cannot in of myself become like this. So we ask and we seek and we knock. And it takes us back to him. We can't do it in our own strength. So we say, God, I need you to work in my life. That's how we become men and women that live by the golden rule. He changes us to his image. Again, you're an apprentice of his. Spend time with him this week. And then ask one question. Lord, who can I go and minister to this week? Who's someone that I could live out this golden rule before your eyes and before their eyes? Who is, and what's a scenario where I can actually do for another person because I put myself in their shoes. I've discovered what I would want and God, your spirit is going to give me power to live it out. This week, go and do that one thing. It might be your household. It might be your workplace. It might be your neighborhood. It might be someone in your small group. You walk with God this week. You put yourself in somebody else's shoes this week. You act on what you discover that you would want done and you say, God, give me the strength to change. Keeping the golden rule, by the way, It doesn't save us. We need to know that. All these things that you and I read can never save a person. None of your good efforts, none of your good intentions could ever buy you one second in heaven when you take your last breath and you die. The only way you and I are saved, men and women today, is because of the precious blood of Jesus that was shed on Calvary 2,000 years ago. I want to make sure that we don't think, I've got to add one more thing i got to do this, i got to do that, and then I've got to keep the golden rule, and i got to be to church on time? Now, that would be a miracle. <laughs> God, I can't do it. That, that's the point. You can't do it. You're not saved by doing it. You and I are saved by grace. No more can we be saved by trying to keep the other parts of God's law. It's impossible. This, 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 uh, you know, the understanding of the golden rule being summed up in all the law and the prophets. Here's what Paul says. He says in Romans 3, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. See, Jesus came to pay the price for our sins. And every, every time you and I as followers of Christ have failed to keep his word, his blood has already forgiven us of our sins. Isn't that great news this morning? How many of you guys have failed this week? You've blown it. You've messed up. You're here this morning to hear once and again that God's grace is enough to cover all of your mistakes and all of your sin. But maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking in your mind, man, I've got to do all these things in order for God to accept me. That's impossible. You can never do enough good for God to accept you by yourself. You can't do anything good enough to cancel out your debt of sin. What we look at in God's word and what the Bible describes to us and tells us is that God loves us so much that he willingly gave up his only son, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but that person would have eternal life. 
That's how much God loves you. And when Jesus hung on the cross 2,000 years ago, you know, he lived a perfect life, the life that none of us could ever live. And he went to that cross, willingly gave up his life. And when he hung on that cross, the Bible says that God took all of your sin and my sin and what our sin deserved, the wrath of God, God's judgment on this world's sins, and he poured it out on his dear son. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made him, Jesus, who never sinned, to be the sin offering for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. In some mysterious way, when Christ hung on the cross and when a person, thousands of years later, 2,000 years later, centuries uh, over the last, you know, 20 centuries long, Every person that's ever put their faith in Jesus Christ, he's given them his righteousness. You and I are saved simply because of our faith in Jesus. And that power that saves you and I and makes us new people is the same power that he will give to you and I to live out the golden rule. As we close out our time and our guys are going to come up and lead us in a closing song of worship, here's a, a really couple things that I want to encourage you to do. One is I want you to do some soul searching this, this morning. Maybe this morning you, you've got some things going on in your life that you know that you need and you need to trust God for. You need some prayer today. You know, we've got prayer teams every single Sunday morning on both sides of the room. We'd love for you to take a moment as we close out in worship or even after the service and just go and receive prayer. You don't even have to tell them what it is. You can just say, hey, I just got some stuff happening. I need some prayer. It could be a job opportunity. It could be a lost job. It could be a scenario with your family. Whatever it would be, man, don't walk out of here with the same burdens that you came in. Go and say, God, I'm gonna believe you that you're going to make a difference through joining my time with other people in prayer. The second person I wanna speak to right now is the person who, who doesn't have assurance today. You're sitting here this morning, you're going, man, I don't even know if I was to die today that I'd go to heaven. If you think that being religious or going to church or maybe your family's religious is enough, it's not. You need your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He who hears and opens the door, or she who hears and opens the door, I will come in and I will dine with them. It's this beautiful picture in the Middle Eastern culture of a relationship. When you hear God knocking on the door of your heart, you open up that door, you allow him to come in. What does that mean? It means this. It means you realize this morning that you're a sinner and you need his forgiveness. It means that you actually recognize that it's through Jesus Christ that your sins can be forgiven, that his death on the cross was sufficient to cover your sins and my sins and the sins of the whole world. You repent of your sin. It means this, that you are going in a direction away from God and this morning you're willing to turn a 180 degree and you're willing to go to him and receive his forgiveness and his grace. And then really the last is to receive Jesus Christ into your life. Millions of people have made that decision. I don't want to leave ever a Sunday morning without giving somebody an opportunity, even as we worship this morning, to surrender their life, to have their sins forgiven, to begin a relationship with God by faith, as dozens and dozens of people have done over the years here at RBC. So if that's you this morning, if you want Jesus Christ in your life, man, do not let this moment pass you by. Reach out to him this morning. Ask him into your life. It will be the greatest decision you've ever made. Would you pray with me now? Father, thank you for your love, God. Thank you for your grace. And Lord, this morning, I am so grateful for your word. Though it is so challenging to me personally, God, and to my friends and, and brothers and sisters here at RBC, God, as it is to the rest of this church world around us. Um, God, we see it, Lord. We want it, God. Lord, we desperately want to be 
men and women that are becoming selfless, the way we move about this community, God, the way we move about our households. And Lord, we want to honor you, God. We know that it's honoring you to, to you, God, when we live our lives like you. And so, Lord, help us, God, to see the scenarios this week playing out. And Father, let us act what we discover that we might want if we were in that same given situation. And Father, I also pray for those who are here this morning, God, there might be one person, God, there might be a dozen people who do not have a relationship with you this morning. God, they're not certain that if they were to die today that they would spend eternity with you in heaven. But today, God, they're ready to surrender to you. Lord, you've been speaking to their heart, God. Lord, you've been opening their eyes to, to see their desperate need for a savior and your incredible love for them. Lord, I pray that you would speak to their hearts, God. Lord, you would help them to take that step this morning, that step in putting their faith and trust in you, Jesus. You know, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you want to say, hey, Gordon, would you pray for me? I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. I want my sins forgiven. I want to begin a relationship with him today by faith. I want you to simply just lift up your hand. I want you to hold it up high, and we're going to pray together this morning. We're going to tell God today what you want him to do in your life. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? You're ready to surrender your life to him. You want your sins forgiven. You want to begin a relationship with him today by faith. Anybody else in this closing moment? Man, people, people are praying for you. God loves you. Don't let this moment pass you by. God bless you. You can put your hand down. Anybody else? You lift your hand up. Anybody else? Well, right now, for... For those that did raise their hand this morning, I'm going to pray a prayer up here. I'm going to pray something out loud. You pray something like this in your heart. And the Bible says that Christ is going to come into your life. He's going to make you a new person today. What an exciting day it is for you. Let's pray together. Pray after me now. Dear Lord Jesus, Lord, today I admit to you that I'm a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. Lord, I believe that you died for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the dead. Lord, today I choose to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Lord, guide my life and help me to do your will from this day forward. Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. Thank you for your love today. It's in your precious name that I pray these things. Amen. Amen. Listen, I want to just make a big welcome to them. Those that prayed that, man, what an exciting day. Man, so always so awesome when somebody recognizes, right, their need for Jesus and be able to walk with him. You know, this morning, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And uh, I'm going to invite you, those that just prayed that prayer, to take a next step and let us know on that connection card. I've got some things and tools that I want to help you grow as a Christian. If you need prayer this morning, uh, there are folks that are going to be on both sides of the room. God bless you. Let's sing and worship today.